Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, good evening, and welcome back. Can we talk for real? Blog Talk Radio show. We are back live, and I'm not mistaken, I think I know I'm not by myself tonight either. Hey, Michelle. Hey, Terry. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing well. Doing well. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm watching sir. you. I'm following you. I'm following you. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, we're still on the run. That's good. But we, oh, we yeah. Talk about... I mean, uh... So what you into? Pardon me? So what you been into? What did you just... Oh, just a little bit of everything. I'm working on a couple of new projects, and um, I got a chance to go to Cleveland and see our good friend Karen Williams, who is just phenomenal, and a lot of other people. And... um. Looking forward to talking to our, our good friend, Tim. Um, well, you know, I think that uh, uh, he might just touch on it. Um, I know many of people are used to getting those, we're, we're used to getting those updates and biographies each day. Um, people in the black gay community from Stephen Maglott, and, you know, he passed rather mm-hmm. suddenly. So we are uh, today they are memorializing him. And so, you know, our, our thoughts and prayers go out to him and his family and all of and his extended family, all of those of us who knew him and, you know, who followed him and really appreciated the work he was doing as far as archiving our history. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, I know there's a few people who are talking about picking up that work and continuing it. I had talked to him earlier this year, and he had hit uh, health challenges, and he and he was looking for a home for and someone else to pick up the mantle. So um, I'm hoping that that will happen. But, you know, on a personal note, you know, he is one of those people who I could occasionally call and say, hey, what's up, or what about this person, and what about that, and many of the people who we ended up having here on this show and the biographies we came came from him. And, you know, and so... On a personal level, it's a loss of a very good friend. Definitely. So mm-hmm. let's take a moment of silence. And he would definitely be missed. Yeah, I used to read every mm-hmm. morning. I, I, looked for, mm-hmm. I looked for his post every morning like, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I know you. Have about an hour. I know our guest mm-hmm. has about an hour. So I want to keep mm-hmm. some time to get that stuff done. I know I got to do a couple of things. I'm going to see my mama. So, mm-hmm. um, yep. So tonight, the uh, you got the disclaimer. Or you want me to do it? You're going to have to do it. I don't have it handy. Okay, gotcha. The views and opinions expressed on Can We Talk for Real, Black Talk Radio Show host co-host, guest, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. The host appreciates your opinion and your openness to share. Can We Talk For Real does not condone disrespect to the show content, co-host, and or guest. The host and co-hosts are not counselors and advise you to seek professional consultation if needed. So that's just to let you know, folks, we're not counselors. we just us. So, uh-huh. to, <laughs> you say, yep. So tonight's show, um, 
But first, we want to tell all the parents. I know y'all ready. Y'all ready for the kids to go back to school. I don't know if they were ready to go back, but I know the parents like yes. My house can stay clean for a while. I can come home before they get out of school and have some peace. But they're back in school. Um, and as we know, a lot of things have happened over the summer and all 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 of all fifty states, you know, I think no one's been left unturned with children being shot and killed, you know, the violence is out there and violence follows them to school, unfortunately. So you have the bullying, um, you have kids who identify with the LGBT community. You have kids who are just different because they're, you know, they're brainiacs, as they call them, or geeks or whatever, but they're different, and people tend to want to just target them. Um, so tonight we're going to talk to Tim and West. And today we talked, and this is what I like to say about Tim. Tim went from the rap game to the school game. So everything in between, that's what this gentleman has done. So he's going to talk to us tonight about uh, Teach America, which is where he's at in Atlanta. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So, hey, Tim. Hey. What's Hi, up, everybody? Oh, okay. <laughs> so good to see both, both, both of y'all on the call because y'all are, uh, and I'm so grateful that you mentioned Stephen and uh, them memorializing him today as, as as he was a friend to you. He was probably... Uh, about the closest thing I had to a father figure, and so we spent, uh-huh. you know, quite a bit of time together, and and I had the good fortune of spending some time with him recently, while in New York, um, and um, it was just, you know, it was really interesting. He did echo what you said around being really concerned about um, the continuation of the legacy. Stephen's eyesight was becoming pretty bad. Um, uh-huh. And he, he was very obsessive about. Um, I actually wrote a, a tribute piece to him, um, which I'm not sure if you had a chance to see, but it's on my page. But uh, uh, it references um, sight, right? You know, Stephen cited the lives and experiences of so many LGBTQ people of African descent. Uh, and interestingly, you know, sight is needed for that. Uh, and I used to I used to get on him and say like you know you spend too much time looking at the computer screen like it's not going to help <laughs> you know because he's, when you when you when you experience the the intricate detail and complexity of those biographies you, you know he has to spend a lot of time uh-huh. you know really gathering information and and it was just his life's work and so you know he offered such a gift and uh, you know I, I'm of the belief that people. People don't die as long as they're remembered, and so his his name and his legacy will absolutely be in my mouth, you know, for as long mm-hmm. as I'm here. Yeah. And the fact that it was a labor of love that wasn't mm-hmm. his job. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't getting paid for that. That, that. that wasn't right. his job. That wasn't what he did for a living. That was his labor of love. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So compelling. So how are you? How are you, yeah. my friend? <laughs> you know, I just had surgery. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah, so I'm I'm doing okay. I'm I'm back up and active. I'm you know, I think one of the things about surgery is that it um it humbles you. You know, it 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 you know, and I I was just recovering. I, in some ways, I guess recovering is not probably not the appropriate word. You know, Stephen passed just a week before 
um, I had to go into surgery, and so it was just like a lot. And I think perhaps timely, it, it really put, put me in a space where I was forced to not utilize my job and my work as a distraction. Um, you know, because when you, you know, I had an, an abdominal hernia surgery, so I couldn't really get around. I had to be in bed for about a week. And anybody that knows me knows I don't sit still. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was a, a challenge in itself, but it was also a uh, a gift because it really forced me to slow down. It forced me to reflect on some things. And, and I feel like I've returned to movement and life with a great deal more calm and purpose. Um, so I'm just really excited, one, to be on the show like a couple of days after I'm back um, and uh, and to talk about this work that I'm doing in part, uh, <clears throat> this uh, LGBT summit that we're doing in St. Louis. Uh, and it's, the, it's called the Midwest LGBTQ Education Summit. Uh, we've been doing these since November of 2014. And in part, there's a lot of professional development for educators. Um, I think I had told Terry the story before, but um, right before I took the position that I currently have with Teach for America, I was at a United Way summit in Chicago. And they had a whole two-day summit in Chicago on supporting students in Chicago schools, you know, black and brown kids, a lot of stuff on black boys, nothing on black girls, which is not surprising, unfortunately. Um, but nothing at all in two days about LGBTQ students. And mind you, at this particular time, this is when I was uh, director of youth services at Center on Halstead in Chicago. So, you know, every day after school, where are all the kids coming? <laughs> you know, where are all the gay and lesbian kids and bisexual kids and trans kids coming? They come to Boys Town. And they came to my youth program as a safe space. And so many of the stories that I heard them relay and talk about were just so heartbreaking, right? And as the director at that center, I had a great staff, and we could help deal with the immediate trauma, right, that a kid might have gone through that day. But there was something in me that was like, I need to be able to get into the system, right? Mm-hmm. I need to be able to get in and, like, structurally, how do we create the kind of thing where you cannot get a teacher certification unless you had some LGBTQ training? I mean, that's 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 a big shot. I put it out there. They can blame me mm-hmm. if they want, but I said it. <laughs> um, but mm-hmm. if, if I'm in a school setting... And a, and a teacher or a principal especially, which has happened numerous times, you know, with me, does not even know what LGBTQ stands for, then is that person equipped and competent enough to deal with the diverse families that our children come from, right? Because it's not just about the kids. It's about our kids come from diverse families, and some of them have some of our kids at our schools have two moms, two dads, a single mother, or raised by a grandmother. We need educators who are really competent uh, about the diversity of the families that our kids come from, um, about the, the reality that children know who they are. Uh, we have this very adultist mindset that we can't talk about certain topics and certain things because, oh, they're too young, the kids, you know. And what's <laughs> always been hypocritical for me about that, we have no issue saying that little Susie got a crush on John in first grade. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. 
But then the moment, like any kind of, oh, we can't talk about sexual orientation in first grade. That's it's too early. But hold on, didn't you just talk about the crush that Susie has on John and how she likes him and they're going to be boyfriend and girlfriend? Whoa, like there's a kind, you can't have both. <laughs> you can't do, <laughs> you can't do both. And so, you know, part of my role has been really like utilizing my own experience in the education arena and just as a person. Like I, I was a kid that at five, six years old, I knew not, and it wasn't about sex, but I knew there was a there's someone I use the term affectional orientation. I think it was Dr. Co- Coffee, right? Dr. Uh-huh. Coffee. I love that idea, right? Affectional orientation because I think part of the issues in schools is that they try to streamline the conversation, make it about sex. It's like no, like but people have affection. They have, you know, when it, when I was in first grade, I could when I conceptualized my life and my future, and being with the person and having a family. In 1970, whatever it was, that that it was, it could have been with the male or a female, I, and it didn't seem weird to me to be able to conceptualize that. I had probably never heard the word gay or homosexual, but it just felt like, oh, you just make a life and a family with a person that you love. So imagine the number of kids that are in schools that may be having those thoughts or questions and are being told over and over again, you can't be that way. Gay is bad. Gay is evil. Gay is sick. Um, how are kids who are being told those messages expected to learn and feel good about themselves? You can't, you know, you can't, it's hard to do well when you hate who you are. Well, you know, Tim, just how you were saying, like, how, like, in the first grade, they say little Jane loved little Johnny. But we hear again and again people go like, oh, I knew when he was a little boy or when she was a little girl that they mm-hmm. were going to be gay. You know, you, you mm-hmm. so it's sort of like we, you know, to say that they don't know, and one voice you're saying you're acknowledging that the, that kids do know, but then you're going to mm-hmm. oh, no, they don't know, so we can't talk about it. It's so crazy. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I think it, it, it's not just that. It's, it's about the fact that, you know, our kids come from diverse families. You know, the highest concentration of LGBT families are often in places like, you know, our urban cities in the Midwest and especially in the Deep South. I know Mississippi has a high population of LGBT families. So, you know, even if you're saying negative things about LGBT people in a school setting, you're you're potentially hurting a kid whose parents are that, you know. Um, and so it's, I, I just think there has to be a level of awareness. I, I'll often say, too, this work for me is, is less about the identity politics of it and more about just from an edu- as an educator, right? If I send my kid to a school, I expect them to get an excellent education, point blank, period. Your personal beliefs, your religious beliefs, your personal sensibilities, what you like and don't, the food you like to eat, as a teacher is not as important to me as your qualification and ability to nurture and teach my child. And so I think sometimes we get caught up in the politics of identity in a lot of this work, and we forget that it's really about equity. It's about, you know, all children should have the ability to get that quality education they deserve. And if their identity is getting in the way of that, which generally is sometimes the identity of the adult is the thing that's getting in the way, right? It's not the kid. <laughs> it's, you know, I've, I've had, I've been in situations where I've had teachers say to me, well, you know, my, I don't believe in being LGBT. 
And I'm just like, well, one, that statement always confused me because I'm like, you don't believe in it? Like, it exists. It is. So, I mean, uh-huh. <laughs> are you saying you're in denial that LGBT exists? Or are you saying, like, you don't believe people should be that way? Well, but they are. So, like, not believing in it is just kind of irrelevant at this point. Like, let's accept, okay, it exists. And so how do we do the best we can to deliver the quality education we're supposed to despite the fact that we may have our own personal opinions about it. Um, And as a case in point, I always point to a very specific situation. I was teaching in Houston, um, a state without employment protections for LGBT people. Um, At a school, I remember I had to take out my eyebrow piercing every day that I went to teach because it was a really conservative environment. And I remember helping, there was a student, we were doing a, a, a debate class, and they were talking about gay marriage as one of the topics. Not something I came up with, it was actually part of the debate. And uh, I helped this student write an anti-gay marriage paper. <laughs> um, and I always use that example. Now, mind you, I ensured that she understood the other side of the argument, and she had to write a paper arguing the other side. I made all my students do that. Right, mm-hmm. because I, as part of your intellectual development, it's important for you to understand what the other opinion is. That's intellectual curiosity. So, you know, she said, "Wow, I never thought that any of these other opinions would be something that I would consider." But she said, "You know, even though I'm still going to write against it, I, I have a much better understanding." And I said, "That's fine. So let's make sure, you know, your your eyes are dotted, <laughs> your T's are crossed, and that it's at least grammatical." And she, and she, you know, she wrote a paper I didn't personally believe in, um, but she wrote a good paper. And so that just tells you, as, as a teacher, I could not say I don't agree with your opinion, so I can't help you write your paper. <laughs> and I think the opposite of that is often happening in our schools, that because teachers or educators have personal or political or religious beliefs about the LGBTQ issues or about gender, that they are using it as a way to deny children the the education that they deserve. That's an injustice. It's wrong. <laughs> you know, and it, it just shouldn't be happening. And so I'm, I'm happy to be in a position in the place where I try to advocate for, hey, whatever your beliefs are, you got to teach your kids. Like, <laughs> you don't get to get out of that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, you don't get to get out of that. So, Tim, earlier we had talked, and you were talking about the differences between, like, the Midwest and the South. Mm-hmm. Like, now you're in Atlanta. You know, you're from the Midwest. So talk a little bit about that aggressive policy that we talked about. You know, about. the Midwest, y'all both in the Midwest, so y'all, y'all know. So the Midwest has this up-south thing. That's what I call it, is up-south. You know, they have... A lot of the Southern values, but I think the people in the Midwest generally, specifically when you're talking black context, like to see themselves as more progressive than the South, right? Am I wrong? Yeah. I would say, yeah, a lot of them, I, yeah. like, I didn't mm-hmm. say they were. I said like to see themselves. No, no, I know. I know. I, I, I've heard. I've heard people say that, you know. Yeah, even growing up, I've heard that, you know. Yeah, because you know, I you know, I'm I'm from a family. Uh, I was born in the Midwest. We moved south, but like I have a there's a whole wing of my family that moved to um, Flint, Saginaw, Detroit, <laughs> uh-huh. and they would always come down and talk about how country and backwards we were. So there's there's uh-huh. this there's this there's this 
concept. But when you really get into the nitty-gritty of it, <laughs> you know, Detroit is up south. <laughs> you know, Chicago is Mississippi, Alabama north. You know, St. Louis is Tennessee, Arkansas north. Like, a lot of those values are still carried. And so one of the things that Terry and I were talking about was that while you may have sometimes more progressive laws and policies on the books, it doesn't necessarily translate into different actions, right? I think a lot, I was saying this earlier, a lot of the students in Chicago did not know that they had certain rights as LGBTQ students. They're just not even aware. You know, or you can go to a school in Detroit. I was at a high school in Detroit one time, and the principal told me they didn't have any LGBT students at their school. And I'm like, this is Detroit, really? Thank <laughs> uh-huh. you. Uh-huh. I mean, uh-huh. I don't think you could say that at any school, but, I mean, I was like, you know, I, I, I know the the rich legacy of the Detroit gay youth culture, and it's always been huge. <laughs> you know, it's always been, you know, and so I, I think it speaks to a certain denial, even in the Midwest. I think in the South, what you get, it's, it's a lot more blatant, right? <laughs> um, I think people's positions, I think the religiosity in in South is a lot more just a given. There's going to be prayer in schools. You know, you, if you're a teacher, there's going to be some Jesus conversations. <laughs> and no matter how you might say, well, that's not simply, you know, there's a separation between, of church and state. In the South, there's really not, it doesn't really exist. So the question becomes, how do you, how can you honor that that's the culture of the way people are and still say, you know what, that's, again, that's still not an out to how our children need to be educated, how our families all need to be respected um, yeah, so I think those are some of the differences, but I find that they're subtle. We had, um, as context, we had four LGBT summits last year. We had one in D.C., which was the Northeast. We had one in Los Angeles, which was True West. We had one in Chicago, uh, the Midwest. Last year was in Chicago, and then we had one in Atlanta, Deep South. When we had to scale back, we decided to keep two of them. Guess which two we kept? <laughs> Washington. You said what's that? About Washington, maybe. Keep Chicago. We kept the Midwest and the South because that's where the issues Mm -hmm. are the the greatest. You know, that's Mm -hmm. where the that's that's where the you know the these issues happen the most. And um, you know, Terry, you're right next to Indiana. That state is always going through it about some LGBTQ kids. I mean, you know, there's the whole zero tolerance policies where if LGBT students fight back to defend themselves, they equally get suspended. And so that's why you have this LGBTQ uh, school to prison pipeline, because, you know, no one's saying that, like, okay, this trans kid was bullied, beaten up. And then the moment they strike back, all of a sudden they're violent. So isn't it almost like a double whammy? Because it seems like if you're a child of color mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. the get, mm-hmm. it's it's easily to be seen that your behavior is not acceptable by whatever terms it is, and you're going to get suspended. So then, I mean, if you're a child of color and you happen to be LGBTQ, well, you know, oh, yeah. you're just wrong the moment you step oh, in the door. Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. And that's why you find a lot of people don't know this, Terry, but, you know, we talk about the school-to-prison pipeline. 
right, yeah. and how black children, black and brown children are overrepresented in the school-to-prison pipeline. But very few people are aware or talk about how LGBT students among the black students are overrepresented. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and a lot of it's because, you know, they're over-disciplined. Um, and this is where I get into a lot of the discussions about why it's important. Yes, while it's important that we pay attention to what's happening with our black boys, the number of suspensions of black girls at our school, the over-disciplining of our black girls, and a lot of that is rooted in gender. It's rooted in this notion that girls have a certain place. They're not supposed to speak up. They're not supposed to be too loud. They're not supposed to stand up for themselves. You know, they're not supposed to state their opinions too boldly. And so a lot, a lot of our girls, and I'm not saying, you know, there, there may not be, they may not be lesbian or studs or whatever, but the reality is there's a certain gendered perception of black girls or women that sometimes bleeds over to our perceptions of them in school settings. And I think, you know, black males, that's a whole different thing, right? And, and, and there's certainly an over-disciplining of black boys, uh, all I'm saying is that we also have to pay attention to what's happening to black girls um, in, in our schools as well, uh, because if you look at that data, it's it's really upsetting. <laughs> well, you know, you know but there's well, also it, it, are there statistics or anything to show? Because you know, the other part is like if they're absent. So if a kid is constantly, if you know, if I cross my eyes wrong, I'm gonna get put out or anything. Is it just saying mm-hmm. well, I just won't go to school? Is there is there some uh, anything to, to chart talk about absenteeism where the kids just are saying you know like I'm just not gonna go anymore. Well, that's what's happening. So you look at and what you pointed to is the truancy rates, right? If a kid doesn't mm-hmm. feel feel understood or feel safe, they just don't go. They play hooky. They skip. You know, and so the truancy rates are are high among LGBT students. You know, absenteeism, truancy. But, again, it all goes back to can someone who's missing, you know, two, three days in a week from school, are they even able to get a quality education? Hmm. And I think that that becomes a denominator when people have different opinions and beliefs about LGBT. That's where you have to go. <laughs> you hmm. know, you, you are concerned about your school being seen as an excellent school where the students achieve – and yet you've created a situation because of your lack of competency and awareness of LGBT students of color where students aren't staying in school, they're skipping class because they don't feel safe. Uh, another uh, point, data point, and I don't have it in front of me because you know, I just got home, but, uh, but if you look at the data uh, of students that are placed into special ed environments, you'll also find an overrepresentation of LGBTQ students of color. And it is yeah. not because academically they are not capable. It beca- it is because often behaviorally in certain school settings, that's where you put the kids that you don't know how to deal with. And so think about the injustice of that. Like a lot of our children, a lot of our children are brilliant and, and bright and smart and talented, but because people don't understand who they are, and the way that they present, you know, I, I remember a case in in Chicago where a kid was getting picked on and, and beaten up, and the principal told him, well, if he acted like a, a boy instead of a girl, he wouldn't have to worry about it. Mm. And this is the principal. So, of course, you know I had to go meet with them. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
can't do that in every instance, right? <laughs> you know, if I, if I had superhero, like, X-Men powers, that would, I'd be the one showing up at school anytime an ignorant thing would be said, but then I'd have to split myself so many times. There was another case. I'll, t- I'll tell you something else. that was, This was in a school in the South, and there was a teacher that I worked with and just, you know, contacted me really upset. And I said, well, what's going on? He said, well, there was a conversation about whether or not they should allow a, a, a GSA at the school, this is a high school, or maybe a middle school, middle school, high school. And one of the, the principal said, well, you know, even though I have my opinions about the LGBT lifestyle, uh, I hate these terms, but, you know, that's what they mm-hmm. use, um, I think it's important that we should try to support this because it will prevent um, kids from considering suicide. Another administrator followed up that comment by saying, well, at least there will be one less of them. Oh. Oh, wow. So you can imagine how shaken up my teacher was (laughs) Um, from from overhearing that, uh, because, one, I'm in uh, in a state where they could be fired if they are LGBT, so should I speak up? Should I say something? Can I say, like, you know, but to think that this was a leadership team at a school with that much hatred and vitriol toward the LGBT community that they would advocate for the suicides of LGBT students. So I just need to say, like, and when I came into my work at TFA, um, there was a call to use softer language. Well, you know, we want to talk about kids getting great education. I said, no, we need to talk about homophobic school environments, <laughs> transphobic mm-hmm. school. Like, let's call it what it is. It's not pretty language, but the reality of what our, these kids are going through in schools, it's not pretty. So we just kind of have to call it what it is, you know. Um, and I think there are examples, fortunately, of some schools that are doing some good things. And, uh, you know, I'm fortunate to know some school leaders in Chicago and Detroit, you know, that are, are really, you know, it ain't perfect, but they are really working to push on this issue, uh, you know, to ensure that they're providing students with the education that they deserve. And, then, well, like you were saying, let's look at the fact of not just school. Some reasons mm-hmm. are because of like homelessness you know it's mm-hmm. poverty it's a lot of things with the lgbt youth and today they released that u.s juvenile and criminal justice systems endangers the lives and future of lgbt youth they mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. They, they, they let, they let the, the statistics out today so yep. that right there is definitely going to be a show you know that people need to listen in on because that's still our future you, you listed some of those stats right terry yeah yep i'm gonna go ahead and put it up yeah, or just, uh, I don't know if you can verbalize them for people that may not be able to see, but okay. you know, some so of those stats are really startling. Yeah, yeah, it's coming up. So it's just, I mean, people people tend to look at folks and just say, okay, they're there, but they're not there. So we're not going to mm-hmm. even talk about them. We ain't going to even think about them. Because, okay, youth in the juvenile detention is double that of the LGBT community in the general population, but 20% are identified as LGBT. Wow. Which compare with 7% to 9% of youth that are in the general population. In the population, right. Mm-hmm. That's, so that's double. a double. Yes. That's over double. Exactly. And no one's doing anything about it. Mm-hmm. You know, the, another one is, let's see, 
New York, more than half, 53% of lesbian and gay youth in New York child welfare system said they have stayed on the streets because their foster care placement was not safe. Mm-hmm. So those kids aren't going to school. Oh, absolutely. Okay, yeah. here you go, Tim, what you were talking about. More than no, half. Absolutely. You know, we, there, was, there were situations. Uh, there were situations in Chicago. We tried to work a lot with the, uh, you know, Department of with the Children and Family Services. Uh, and um, there were instances, and it broke my heart sometimes, where you'd have an LGBT kid running away from home. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, I get it on a certain level, right? If they have a placement, the, the the first option is to try to get that child back into the home. But the, the reality is some of these home environments are not safe. <laughs> and there were so numerous times when I literally, my hands were tied, and I could, you know, they had, I had to watch a kid go back into an environment where they're not safe where the mother has told me direct to my face, well, my son's not going to be feeling the F word. Not in my mm-hmm. house. But they know they have to say what they need to say to get, you know, to, to restore the situation because it's illegal in a lot of states to put kids out. You can't do it, right? And so what we really need is just a broad effort. It's, it's not just about the schools. It's about communities. It's about churches, <laughs> you know, it, and it's 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 about educating, um, you know, God bless P flag, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> but P flag is it's not always the option for for black and brown parents. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I had a woman come and she said, "Well, I went to one of the meetings. She's like, I was the only one there <laughs> that was black." And she's like, "There were just certain aspects of my life and culture that I didn't see reflected, so I didn't feel comfortable there." And she wanted to try to start a group of, um, you know, of black parents who are trying to deal with supporting their kids who are that way. Um, and so I think there's just a lot of efforts that need to be made uh, on a lot of different levels. I, I think there's a narrative, there's an overarching narrative that gets played out too much that um, the black community is not supportive and, you know, and I, I think it's a lot more complicated than that. The, the number of parents, of black mothers in particular, that I would have literally bring their kids to the center of Halstead, <laughs> literally, like, show up and be like, hey, I don't understand it, but I love my son, and I'd rather them be somewhere productive <laughs> than out running the streets, right? But we don't hear those narratives. We only hear about kids getting kicked out. We only hear about you know, the the families that don't support. So I think we just need to complicate those narratives. We need to create spaces where parents that, are, that want to work with schools to accept kids and to provide them with the nurturing that they need, you know, because, I mean, that's that's what's happening. You're right. That's why we have the overrepresentation in the juvenile justice system. But do you find that does the school system and the juvenile justice, do they also have to recognize and work with, with other things because I can recall one year like at the Ruth Ellis Center there were some kids who who went through their program who stayed there they didn't go back to their home the Ruth Ellis Center was their home you know some of them Mm -hmm. went the residency program some of them were couch surfing but that's where they went but they were still going to school but where Mm -hmm. if if the system gets involved they're going to 
to snatch them out of an environment where they're thriving, even though it's non-traditional, and right. force them back into something else. Right. So, I mean, especially with kids of color, I mean, don't we have to, like, and, and LGBT families, I mean, we make our families. Absolutely, so and I, I, think, I think, that's, a, I think a, what you're speaking to is this broader acknowledgement of how we are stuck in the trappings of one way of defining family. And it's uh-huh. always been, it's always baffled me because I'm like that's black people have always had very diverse <laughs> family structures. Uh-huh. You might be ra- you might call her your mama, but that's actually your aunt <laughs> and uh-huh. your aunt and your cousin raised you. You know, I mean, it's, it's like it's it's you know that nuclear model has never been our ideal or our reality. Uh, we've had all kinds of, but we but we found ways to support, you know, despite the different kind of family structures, and yet. I think our systems, like our child welfare systems, our juvenile justice systems, our school systems, are so locked into this nuclear, you know, mom and dad model. And a lot of students are getting left out. And I'm not, it's not just the LGBTQ students. It's uh, students who are, you know, in single-parent households, um, you know. Uh, you know, there's just so many things that, like, schools really need to broaden and, and that's kind of what I meant by taking it back to, like, a, the certification level. What would it mean if when people were going through teacher certification programs or school leadership certification programs that there was a requirement that they have so many units um, about understanding the LGBT community or students or families? Because you can go through these programs now and not get one word about it, depending on yeah. where you go. You know, and so, I mean, it's, you know, there's a part of me that's like, well, that's nice, but I think when you talk about systems change, it has to happen at that level. Or, you know, let's say somebody's been in the classroom for 15 years, right, and back when they did their certification, it wasn't, these issues weren't talked about. Well, when they go have recertification, why can't there be a mandate that they need to update their certification and, and take that class or do this unit or go to this workshop, that's why we provide these summits that we're doing because we want to be able to say to all educators, you know, whether you're LGBT or not or just want to know more information, there's a place you can go and for like a day or two get a lot of professional development on how to support, you know, the students in your school and community that might be LGBT, but it's also the teachers, right? So that's, that's, that's another aspect of it. I was at a Senate um kind of workshop panel in D.C., and somebody made a really good point. They said, you know, we can tell, we can say all we want, that we want students that are LGBTQ to feel affirmed in their identity, uh, to love who they are. But she said that we live in a society and a system where LGBT teachers can get fired mm. for disclosing their and, – and, and so – you're sending a mixed message because you're telling the kids to be who they are, <laughs> to love themselves, but they don't even see themselves reflected in their teachers. You mean tell me, like, I can go to a school with, you know, 100 teachers and I, I don't know one that <laughs> that is LGBTQ because they're afraid or they have to lie or, you know. Um, and so those are the kind of issues that we also deal with is how do we change that system's the systems, how do we give teachers the tools to navigate that very complex terrain of, okay, you know, maybe I don't want to be out as a teacher. Maybe I just feel like that's too much to deal with. But, you know, kids are smart, <laughs> and it's 2016. 
<laughs> so the number of, the number of educators I will tell you who their students have asked him, oh, Miss So-and-so, is that a ring? You married? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and, and, and so, you know, the line I've always drawn is that a teacher should never have to be forced to lie about something so basic. And so many of them are in situations where they have to deflect, well, that's an inappropriate question. Well, what are you telling a 13-year-old when you say a question about a wedding ring is an inappropriate question? Huh. You pretty much might as well tell them that you're a lesbian. <laughs> I mean, yep. you know, and they probably don't. Well, kids, and, like and, said, and, and that's the reality. A lot of times the students do know. They pick up on, on signs or things. And sometimes when I, I had to tell a teacher one time, I said, sometimes they're asking the question because they are really looking for someone they can identify with or someone who might understand, you know, where they're coming from because they may not see that reflected anywhere else. You know, and so we can say all, we say all the time that, you know, that identity is important and that children need to see themselves reflected. Like we, you know, I personally think it's wrong to have a school, you know, with, you know, with black boys and girls and no black teachers. That's a problem, uh-huh. <laughs> you know. And I think most of us would say, like, that's a problem. We need, like, kids need to see themselves reflected in the people that teach them. Well, then why wouldn't that also be true for our LGBTQ students? So part of what I, the work I do is to encourage people and 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 I, I think as testament of this like two of the teachers that I'm most proud of are you know since I've been with Teach for America two of my closest friends have you know one was working for a pharmaceutical company uh he's teaching STEM in his hometown you know hmm. teaching math and science to kids of color uh another one just retired from the military <laughs> and I just happened to mention you know he 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 moved to Dallas Fort Worth and left me and he's teaching these are people that are really having impact in classrooms. And I know one of them told me about his, because I asked him, so what's going to be your first day of school strategy? Like, you know, what is it that you're going to do on day one to set the tone for the kind of classroom you want that is respectful and inclusive of diversity? Um, you know, he put a little military thing on it, but <laughs> probably wasn't much of no conversation. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, it was like, look, there's certain things we're not going to do here. <laughs> you know, we're not going to put people down. We're going to be nice to each other. And they were like, okay, mister, <laughs> that doesn't work for everybody. But, you know, uh, the idea is he came to me and he said, like, I, I really want to make sure I, I get this right from jump uh-huh. so that uh-huh. they know when they enter the classroom, there's just certain ways that we operate. There's a certain respectfulness for a difference and for each other that I, that I expect in my classrooms. <laughs> But that advice didn't come from the school. And, uh-huh. in fact, when a que- when he posed the question to the school of how teachers should deal with that, guess what the answer was? Not We're not going to talk about that right now. We're not going to talk about that uh-huh. right now. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. So, I mean, that it, mm-hmm. what is it? What's the Audre Lorde quote? Your silence will not protect you. You can not mm-hmm. talk about gay issues all you want. It doesn't stop it from, <laughs> doesn't stop it right. from existing, you know. Um, and so it's much better. It's much, you know, we, we, we lead with a, um, with a hashtag that's called Brave Education. Yeah, it's something that I, I connect with. I'm actually, you know, launching a personal website called BraveEducator.com. And uh, it's really about this principle of 
you know, what are the possibilities of bravery? We talk about safe schools, right? And uh, right now I lead a uh, virtual book club, and we're reading this book. I want to reference it on the show because it's an excellent book uh, by Michael Sadowski. I hope I'm saying his last name right, and it's called Safe is Not Enough. And what I love about this book is that so much of the discussion around LGBT issues in education have pivoted around safety, right? We want to have safe mm-hmm. schools and safe classrooms. Da, 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 da. And, but there was something always really problematic about that for me. I'm like, well, that's kind of a low bar. Like, <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. I mean, shouldn't your school be like, why are we bragging about safe schools? Like, of course your school should be safe. Like, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so, so that's where the term brave has, has really come in because it really insists that we got to do more, right? Uh, mm-hmm. It's not just about, you know, I mean, I had, a, I had a, a school leader tell me one time, well, he says, oh, well, the gay kids, they don't get beat up here. We don't let people beat them up. Well, congratulations. Like, huh. you shouldn't. Like, am I supposed to give you an award for that? Thank no. You. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, but yet, I mean, I think because of the safe school narrative, you know, you have a lot of people that feel like that's enough, that they're doing enough. Uh, They're they're not talking about curricular challenges, right? So if you're talking about history, right, or I always tell my teachers, if you're teaching black history, right, make sure a couple of those figures doing black history month are LGBT. Uh It's very easy because you shouldn't be teaching about Baldwin and Bayard Rustin anyway, Uh or Audre Lorde or, you know, Barbara Jordan. So, Uh (laughs) you know, there's a lot of black LGBT excellence, right? Or, you know, even the work that you were mentioning earlier, Stephen did with the Ubuntu uh, Biography Uh Project. There's so much black excellence that is also intersectional with LGBTQ. That's easy to do. And the difference it can make in a kid that reads a bio or learns about someone and, and finds out, you know what, this person happened to be a gay, a gay black man, James Baldwin, a writer, one of those famous American writers. <clears throat> you may not have told that, that boy directly, hey, you know, young man, it's okay to be gay, but the fact that you are celebrating, you know, someone who shares that identity, uh, who is aligned with greatness, you know, that that's the kind of thing – I mean, just the impact of that, the impact of knowing, wow. Doesn't that make you say, though, is it safe? Because if you say you're safe because you're not getting beat up, but you're not learning anything about that is affirming or that is challenging you to excellence or where you can see all that you can be. Absolutely. You're not not safe. And I think what you're pointing to is that this – Part of the issue, this idea of safety is too closely connected to a physical safety, right? We're not talking about the mental wellness, the psychological wellness, the emotional wellness of of kids, right? Um, mm-hmm. So it's kind of like if you if you take black kids and you put them in a school uh, where they're not able to learn their African American history, and the only thing they learn about black people is that they were slaves or sharecroppers or whatever, mm-hmm. right? You haven't put your hand on those black kids, but you you have abused them effectively because you haven't provided them any model of excellence to see you know through which to see themselves. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, you're what you're you're so right. Safety is not just about you know the physical dimension; it's also about psychological and emotional, and 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 young people feeling affirmed and good about who they are. 
Well, that school to prison pipeline that you were talking about, uh, Tim, is mm-hmm. also in the Because in the report it says more than half, 56% of LGBT middle and high school students reported feeling unsafe at school because of their sexual orientation. And mm-hmm. almost 14, 39% of students felt unsafe because of their gender identity or expression. LGBT mm-hmm. students, particularly students of color, also among the groups of students who are more likely to be suspended, expelled, or otherwise removed from school settings, like you said, often for relatively minor offenses, and scenarios that now are now widely known as the school to prison pipeline. Those are mm-hmm. big numbers. Mm-hmm. Those are really big numbers. Really big numbers. And there's far too few systems that are even being responsive to it. Um, and, you know, so that's why this work is so you know, so relevant, so important, so necessary. Um. So, Tim, we've talked about the, we've talked about the kind of the work or, or the things that you want to see. Mm-hmm. Talk about the conference. What is the conference? What's the nuts and bolts of the conference? What is it going to do? Why should people be excited to possibly want to say, you know what? I think I want to go and see what it's about. Um, yeah, so I think from and it, the, the thing about it is that we have uh, we have five different tracks of what we call professional development. So these are workshops and seminars, panel discussions, keynote speakers who will be talking specifically about issues. Uh, if you look at a lot of teacher credentialing programs, they may or may not most most likely don't have a lot of programs that can educate teachers around these issues. And so we have teachers. Um, you know, I'm with the Teach for America network, um, but a lot of educators who are not in our network come to our summits because they're like, hey, this is an opportunity for me as an educator to get some great professional development for $50. <laughs> we purposely okay. keep our summits very cheap, uh, especially if they're people that might be want to travel from Detroit to St. Louis or Chicago. We want to make it viable for them so we don't have a super high registration fee. Uh, because we want them to be able to get that professional development training. So we have keynote speakers. We have workshops. Um, we have uh, some of those workshops are uh, are looking at teachers themselves who happen to be LGBT and how they can, um, you know, have an impact in the school. Uh, we even did a workshop one time, how to support LGBT students when you can't be out. Hmm. Because... <laughs> As much as we want to say, be yourself, the reality in certain settings is that teachers can't, you know. Uh, And yet we still believe they can still have an impact, right? They can still advocate for their students. They can still introduce curriculum and literature and things that uplift uh, that community. And I know a lot of people say, well, that's uh, that's a part of the agenda. There's no agenda. (laughs) All you're doing is Uh speaking the truth of uh, who we are as human beings and the part of the truth of who we are as human beings is that we are a sexually and gender diverse world, right? So we also need to go back and teach about, you know, gender. These issues aren't new. If you look at indigenous cultures and, you know, the native people, if you look at indigenous African cultures, you see all kinds of varied gender expression. Um, but, you know, we, we've gotten so much colonization of our minds that we, you know, we don't even, we can't even imagine 
you know, a society where like it's 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 okay for people to express themselves however they do. And I say like, some of these same people are the ones that will celebrate Prince and they have Prince posters everywhere and oh Prince was uh-huh. this and that. Well but you have all kind of issues with effeminate guys are transgenders. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, so I think part of it is, you know, calling the the hypocrisy out, uh and then using tools to have discussions, um, you know, with young people. But, you know, I've been in multiple settings with with young people. They embrace these conversations. You know, the the conversations we say they can't have. They're not capable of having this conversation. They're too young to talk about this. You know what? They're talking about it anyway at the playground. On you know, they're talking about it on the way home. They're talking about these issues. And so, what better responsibility do we have than to ensure that, that conversation is happening in a way that's competent? Uh, where they're getting the information they need. There, there are other consequences as well, and particularly when you think about high school settings. I remember right before I left Chicago, there was an outbreak of syphilis and HIV among, like, middle and high school kids. Yep. Right? Yep. But, oh, but we can't talk about this in schools. Well, <laughs> huh. they talk you know. Somewhere. Right. Right. You know, and I, so I just think we have to have – realistic, honest conversations that are, are really about the justice of the conversation, like wh- as responsible caregivers, which is essentially who we are as educators, our people that work in youth development, our, you know, um, you know, um, public safety personnel or whoever, like you have to have this on the radar. You have to be aware and know. And if you don't know, how can you point that young person in the right direction? Where they can, where they can at least access the information that they need to. Um, yeah. So, so if, you, if, you, if you come to uh, in St. Louis, I got a little off track there preaching. Oh, uh, but October uh, October eighth and ninth is the Midwest LGBTQ Education Summit. It starts on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, we try to condense it. Obviously, we do these on weekends because. Teachers need to be in school to teach, so we don't we don't try to take out time from their thing. But it's open to families. It's open to we've had parents come. We've had community leaders saying, "Hey, I just want to know more about this for myself because I want to do more work in my community." We have educators. We have college students, and so um, yeah, I, I wish I could chat in the link. But if anybody wants information about it, they can send me an email at t dot west. Uh, at teachforamerica.org, and I will send them information on how they can register for this or spread the word to teachers and educators that you know. Uh, and, again, there are going to be keynote speeches. There will be workshops. Uh, we're going to have a creative kind of spoken word event mm. where youth and students will get an opportunity to express their feelings about these issues in a creative manner. Um, there are going to be panel discussions. Uh, about issues like sexual health education in schools uh, in the Midwest and and efforts at different jurisdictions in the Midwest like Detroit, Kansas City, you know, um, Indiana, Chicago are trying to ensure that these young people get the information they need to protect themselves and to be safe. So, Tim, you've got Teach America. You've got teachers who are, who are, who are on board. What level of who needs mm-hmm. to get a wake-up call? I mean, is it the poli- 
is it the unions? Is it you know who needs to be woke up and shook shook a little bit to say, hey, look, we got this. You in the middle and you keeping it from happening. You know, it's, it's really interesting, and you know, I think a lot of people don't realize how political education is, but it's kind of hard to ignore that right now. Um, but it's really one group of people that I feel like has a lot of voice that I think sometimes doesn't realize it. If you look at some of the major differences between well-funded suburban districts or even urban districts that are well-funded, there's a there's a high correlation between parent involvement, community involvement, and what's happening at that school level, right? So sometimes we get so caught up in national politics that we don't really think about, well, who's on the school board? <laughs> you know, uh-huh. And there are people that are probably quite capable of running for a school board office and being in a position to help make some of these decisions. Um, but I think, you know, parents, I, one of the things I've always done, I've done it here, you know, I, I, I work for a teaching organization, but any community that I've lived in as a as a black, queer-identified male, male, I go to the schools that are around me and I introduce myself <laughs> and say, hey, I live in this community. Here's a resume of the stuff that I do, and I want to be supportive of what's happening in this community because they need to see me. They need to know who I am. They need to know that, hey, I'm a parent, you know, not a parent of a student at your school, but, like, I'm a part of this community. And imagine if LGBT people did that, whether or not they're directly connected. That's that village concept, right? (laughs) Right? Uh It it doesn't have to be my direct offspring. You live in that community. You see the kids getting off the bus or running around the neighborhood. You'll be the first to complain that they're not doing the right thing. Well, avail yourself. Say, hey, maybe I'll volunteer to do some tutoring at the school, getting engaged and involved at the school level. So that's that's the, uh, you know, I have a vision of schools operating as, as kind of like community spaces, as community centers where even parents are getting support. Some of our parents aren't literate, right? right? Some of our parents need to be able to go to that's a school true. after school and get a financial literacy workshop about how to budget how to manage your time. You know, how do you read a report card? We send in report cards, and I'm assuming parents exa- know exactly what's going on in them. You know, and, and as a teacher, I tell you how many times when the, te- the parent would come in and be like, so what's their grade? And they're sitting there holding a report card. <laughs> you know, um, and so yeah, that, that's, like that's totally what we're really dealing with. We got, we got to really, if we're really about the business of, of changing the education in, in this nation and, and our kids getting the best education possible, it can't just be about the kid. It has to be about the community. It has, you know, church, the black church needs to be doing more <laughs> to connect to education or uh, to provide reinforcement of, of things. Um, so th- there's a lot of work to do, um, but certainly, you know, it's, it's you know, it's, now the work that I do certainly pivots around the LGBT issue because it's so Seldom discussed and talked about. But Tim, that's like when we talked earlier about when you just said about you know um, the community involvement, more parent involvement, you know, in some of the schools. We said earlier, if you have a teacher who's been around and Mr. Smith is like sixty-seven years old, he's a good teacher. Doesn't look like he's sixty-seven, but he he's been around since he was sixty-seven. Now he had John's mother. John's mother could not read. Mm-hmm. Now, if she graduated and went to high school and she couldn't read, unless she, you know, got into a reading program, what would make people think John's going to know how to read if he goes home to a mother that can't read? 
Absolutely. I think right. that's where the community has to come in because, I mean, we know who the rapists are. We know who the thugs are. We know who the gay kids are. We know who the psychos are. So you know you know the kids that can't read or the parents that can't read and can't help their kids, and somebody can help out. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, and sometimes it's, it's multi-generational. I mean, especially when you have mothers who are younger and younger and grandmothers who are younger and younger. It can be mm-hmm. more than one generation. And they can be functionally literate, but that basic part of reading, you know, it just ain't there. Right. No, you're right. You're so right. And I think the the other thing that we haven't talked about, and this is something that I'd be remiss if I didn't mention or say it, is the modeling that's needed, right? So, you know, we talk, when I was in Chicago, there was constantly you get around, like, black LGBT adults, and they would just go on and on about how bad the kids were and, oh, the little lesbians, all they do is fight, or, you know, all the little gay boys, all they do is this. I'm like, have you ever, you know, but I couldn't get any of them to come volunteer. Well, I could get a few, <laughs> to, you know. Um, to, to mm-hmm. You have to show up. How else are they going to know what's possible for them until they can see, wow, that's an adult. And that yeah, that person happens to be a lawyer, and that one happens to be a school teacher, and that one happens to be a mechanic, and these are all possibilities that I have as a young LGBT person. You know, because you know, if if we leave it to the media, the only thing we can be is like maybe what entertainers or stylists, or <laughs> you know, I don't even mm-hmm. know if, I, if I'm a young lesbian girl, I don't know what can I be? Maybe like maybe a an athlete, <laughs> you know? But is is that just it? Like we we, it's important that these kids see possibilities for who and what they can be, and 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 we have a very you know, powerful. I mean, going back to Stephen, you know, he did all these bios on athletes and musicians, and like you name the industry. You know, he wrote over 300 bios uh, about people uh, of African descent who are LGBTQ uh, from all sorts of backgrounds and walks of life. Uh, and I think it, it really is about like how do we amplify and illuminate the importance and the value. Uh, that our kids need to see. I mean, I, you know, I had a suicide attempt at 16. You know, if I had known <laughs> what I know now about like all the black genius and the black joy and the and the black excellence of LGBT people, I wouldn't. <laughs> with no way I would have mm-hmm. been because I was going. I got a lot of good things I can be. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, my my prospects of of life are are great, but unfortunately, we don't. If, if young people don't see that, if they don't have that option, you know, then then they're going to limit themselves. Yeah. Uh, well, Tim, you rebranded yourself. <laughs> I did. So tell people what you rebranded yourself from. And so when I first... Yeah, when I first my my current website, which is still up and active, although I'm I'm uh, in the in the rebranding process, was Red Dirt Biz. Uh, a little bit about that is that you know I'm I, I grew up <laughs> mostly in Southwest Arkansas, and I just wanted to be remembered for for the little tiny place I'm from, and that that tiny place gave birth to who I have become as, in all my fullness as a black man as a as a queer person, as uh, as an educator, as an activist, as a hip hop artist, as a poet, um, my first book was songs from Red. Uh, my first book was Red Dirt Revival, um, and my first album was songs from Red Dirt. So Red Dirt Biz made a lot of sense, right? Um, and I was talking with you earlier, Terry, about 
how it's really interesting that when you are a black man, um, it's so much easier for people to to conceptualize you as a hip-hop artist or, or a poet, you know, uh, or even an athlete or a coach, you know, which I've been. Um, and I kept saying, well, you know, I have a couple of philosophy degrees from some pretty good schools. And, you know, I have a, I have a third degree from another pretty good school. Like I've done a lot of highly intellectual things. I've, I've been publishing anthologies that are scholastic. And, and and as I've gotten older and probably less apt to do uh, the level of hip-hop performance that I used to do, uh, I just felt like it was time. It's time to really bridge who I am as an educator and an and a scholar and a philosopher with the work that I've done creatively and really force people to think about that in a holistic way. Uh, I think the Chicago Reader a few years back did that story on me, uh, which is really about this idea of a Renaissance man, right? That's, you know, this person who has a lot of talents in a lot of different areas. And so braveeducator.com is just a way of saying, you know, I do see myself as an educator, and sometimes that education happens through the realm of the arts and performance. Mm-hmm. So my poetry, my music, to me that's education. <laughs> I jokingly had some students in Chicago told me that I did motivational hip-hop, and I was like, oh, don't call it that out loud <laughs> because it doesn't sound very <laughs> sexy. But but I understood what they were saying because once they listened to it, they're like, oh, this is really cool. It's, it's like motivational. But it also says something about most of the other hip-hop that they hear because <laughs> if my stuff had to be motivational hip-hop, what are they listening to? <laughs> Unmotivational hip-hop. But so on braveeducator.com, there'll be a wing that talks about my poetry and my hip-hop performance. There'll be another that talks about my youth advocacy. Um I've done youth advocacy in education and in public health for a long time. Uh, I helped start a positive youth council when I lived in Oakland, which was a youth council of young people under the age of 21 who were living with HIV. Um, And so that's work that I've done to really advocate for those voices and those young people. Um, You know, so that's, that's really powerful work and then there's another wing of it that's going to talk more about myself as an educator and a scholar a lot of the connected work that I do with TFA and a number of other uh institutions so I mean just pulling it all together you know <laughs> I'll, I'll be 45 <laughs> next year so I'm like hey you know <laughs> I love my hip hop but <laughs> you know the gray hairs are peeking out <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, and and that's a beautiful journey, right? I think the other thing that we have to be careful of is in, in gay culture, we celebrate and and put on a pedestal youth so much um, that there's there's not a re- there's not a respect and an honoring of of aging of growing older, which I think is amazing and beautiful. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't let anybody tell me my getting older is a bad thing. I can't wait to be fifty and fifty five and sixty mm-hmm. and keep on going, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's what we have. We have to be able to allow young people to see like that they, that they have those futures and those full lives uh, that are available to them as well. Mm-hmm. So next year, Tim, I'll be able, when you, when you turn there, I'll be able to look at you and say, okay, now we can tell them what it feels like to be 60. I, and and I, I, look, there's a reason I keep people in my life of all, of all ages, because, for me, I mean, you know, it's it's interesting. I, 
fortunately, I, I can fortunately say that I, many of the women and men in my life who guided me when I was 18 are still in my life. Mm. So, uh, and and that that is really powerful. I think that's, that's ultimately what made the difference. When I didn't have a school that was supportive or when I didn't have an answer, I, I had people, it's, it's kind of what you were saying about how we make family in the LGBT community. It may not always be our birth family, but we, we have this ability to create our own family structures uh, for support. And, uh, and, you know, that's just a beautiful thing. So you too. It is 20 minutes. Well, ten minutes past the time I told you I would give you. So, Tim, <laughs> what would is there anything special you'd want to say, you know, to the listening audience um, about the conversation? I'm curious if anybody has questions. I'd love to to entertain any questions. If people people out there in the in the world want to ask um, a question, I can hang on a little bit more. Uh, you know, I think in terms of of my work, it's just you know, I, I'm only here and able to do what I do because of the people before me. Uh, so it's interesting it would come back to this full circle of of having lost one of our our own and celebrating his life today and, and all the people that he was connected to. But there's certainly been other people as well. And uh, we just need to honor that. You know, we need to honor the, 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 the beautiful legacy that we have. The only other thing that I might do that might be appropriate as a closeout is to to read um, – I did write something for him that well, I believe don't, 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 yeah, don't may have been it. read today. And it's don't not long. Don't read it yet. Okay. Okay, ask me a question, and then, I, then I'll, I'll close out with it. How about that? All right. So this is a question for someone who, who, who sent me something on Facebook, and they were like, oh, awesome. um, they heard about the schools, um, the LGBTQ schools, one's in California, and supposedly one is opening up in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. It did open up in Atlanta actually this fall. Okay, so the question was, what do you think about, is that alienating the student, or is it just, let me see, how does it say, or is it just setting them up for when they come out of school to be bullied? So, um, you know, I think that's a valid concern, right, that we live in a world that's diverse and people need to be exposed to everybody. But the problem I have with that logic is, the same logic was used to say that, like, an all-black school couldn't be thriving and, 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 and important, right? Mm-hmm. You know? uh, and the reality is so, sometimes um, in order to get the best thing you need, you have to, you know, be in, a, in an environment that's going to nurture you. The, these schools would not exist if other schools were doing what they were supposed to do. So I'll, I'll start with that statement, Right. We would not have a pride school Atlanta <laughs> if all the schools in Atlanta were safe and affirming places for LGBTQ students to go. And and some people say, well, that's just life. They need to go. They're going to some. You're going to get. And I sometimes I hear older LGBT adults because you know we because we went through it. You know we you know oh well that's just a part of life. You got to go through that stuff. Well, some people don't make it out on the other side, right? <laughs> And so I know if I had a child, you know, if I had a kid that I was concerned about them feeling basically safe in their school, I would want them to go somewhere where they can focus on learning uh, trigonometry and calculus without having to worry about, you know, someone spitting balls at them or calling them, you know, uh, a bad name in the class. So, I mean, I think 
I think it has to be both and. I think right now we're at a space where we do need these schools for some students who who just aren't able to thrive in the typical environments. At the same time, we need to put pressure on the other schools to do what they're supposed to do so that those environments can also be safe. But the reason that these schools exist is because they're not. They're not. I, 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 I met a student. I met a student in, in Memphis that literally had to walk almost a mile to a Walgreens to use the bathroom because they were trans. Uh, urinary tract infections and all kind of other medical mm-hmm. issues because just basic, <laughs> you know, basic stuff. And that that should not be the case. But the reality is, our schools our schools need to be more responsive and they need to be better. And if they are. You know, there's schools where LGBTQ students feel safe to learn, and I applaud and congratulate those, but it's far too few. Do you see, like, a correlation between those and how way back in the day, how when we had, like, when HBCU started and when we had, you know, we couldn't go to those, but so the way that, that we went from one level to get into education, that we went to black schools, and then from there, you know, we got doctors and we got that, you know, where mm-hmm. there was a core group who were able to thrive. You know, then they always say how you reach back and pull back. Well, it was because of those. So do you see that hopefully that out of these, the example that these kids will show in these pride schools and then what they will be able to do for the next generation is is similar? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 you know, so I was having this conversation today because my mother went to segregated schools, right? And this idea was like, oh, well, you know, the the desegregated schools are going to be better. I said, well, better for whom? Like half of my mom's classmates ended up dropping out because of the racism they experienced when they went to those desegregated schools. Um, so, it, you know, it wasn't necessarily a better situation. I, I just think we have to complicate that. If it's really about the the academic prosperity of the young person, then we should have a number of environments that can work for students. You know, and, and some of them, some of our LGBTQ students can thrive. I mean, you know, I happen to be a really good student at a school that had no LGBT anything or, or kind of support. But that play, that space prop didn't work. You know, I was also, I had straight passing privilege, right? Nobody knew I was gay. You know, so, I mean, I think for those people, it is a lot easier. Right, but think about the kids that are gender, you know, fluid, gender nonconforming, or transgender. They don't have the luxury of being able to pass and get through it. They they're the ones that really get picked on. They're the ones that really get ridiculed. You know, so I think we we need we we need those those schools that exist. You know, so that those students can can just go about the process of learning without that fear until these schools can learn to get it right. So now what do we tell our students that they go to these schools, they get it right, you know, and even if schools get it right, what about the employers, the big companies? Because, I mean, there's still places where you, they find out that you're gay, they fire you. That is true. So, we, you know, we have a lot of, uh, I think, I don't know if it's HRC that's doing what's it called, the Something Equality Act, which is uh, an effort to at least in like for federal employment as well as like schools and stuff like it's going to take care of a number of different things. But yeah, the employment piece is, 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 is really big. Um, you know, in terms of people 
feeling like they can get fired from things. Especially, I think the ironic thing is that people could get married now <laughs> and then get fired the next day. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, you know, because like, all of a sudden you, you know, oh, well, uh, she's not just your girlfriend anymore. Are you married? You can't say no. <laughs> you know, so it's it, it it creates another point of vulnerability for a lot of people. Um that's that's sometimes hard to deal with um and i think we just need to we have to deal with it on a federal level you mentioned the politicians early i think that's why you know we we do have to raise our voices i mean i think a lot of times people they i don't want to be political i don't want to but it's like you know we are living in some of the most polarizing political times there there's some things i've heard said in politics that I have never heard in my life until this uh-huh. year. I'm like, did I did I just hear that right? <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, okay. Obama founded ISIS. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, wow. <laughs> yeah, or, or just the fact that some people are just now learning that the uh, the, the lyrics uh, the 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 for the, the Star Spangled Banner. Uh, you know, actually are anti-black, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. People are just now finding, like, oh, I didn't know that. Well, there's a lot that we don't know because there's a lot that's hidden in our history. Uh, and that's why we need specialized schools that can actually, you know, so much of teaching is unlearning. And, you know, we need schools that are willing to 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 teach in some different ways and to really challenge the dominant pedagogy of what a lot of, a lot of what we learn, it's I, I you know quite honestly I don't remember I, th- I remember seeing the slave boat in high school. They always you know they always show you the slave boat in history, but that's pretty much it. <laughs> you know, and then they were surprised and started calling us. We were becoming militant when we started wearing the little Afro medallions and. Africa uh-huh. shirt <laughs> was because that stuff had been deprived, you know. Um, and so when you see young people now that you know they're, you look at a movement like Black Lives Matter, or you see kids wearing dashikis and you know wearing their hair natural. I was reading about the girls in South Africa who are protesting uh-huh. to be able to wear their ha- afros and their natural hair. You know, there's something. I mean, you know, with this, you know, kind of scary politically polarizing time. I think one of the one of the magical things about it is that it's it you know you have a youth culture that is really rising up to to a level of consciousness that we we haven't really seen you know and i think that that's an and i think that consciousness that that black consciousness is also steeped in intersectionality you know when you talk to, when you look at movements like black lives matter when you look at a lot of the young activists that there's an understanding of you know, black feminism or womanism, and there's an understanding of the LGBT community. And, and, and you know, I hear young black men talking about, oh, I'm a straight ally. I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where were y'all when I was growing up? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but, I mean, I think that, that's, that's, that's a good thing because, for me, it, it, it signals the, a, a different kind of way of being in the world where I think we will begin to see our schools change. You know, I think we will begin to see people running our schools and leading our schools who, who, you know, some of them, they may not be gay, but they may have had gay parents, or they may have, you know, they may have a gay sibling or, a gay, you know, or a lesbian. You know, it's like it's it's kind of, 
you know, it's it's easy to mythologize and hate on a group of people that you don't know. And I think that's ultimately what's what's happened is that, you know, we can talk about the LGBTQ community in all these ways, but when you actually know someone and I, I see this every day in a lot of the teachers that I support and honor uh, some of them working in rural communities. Some of them are openly gay in rural communities, and the schools love them <laughs> because you know what? Those teachers care about those kids like they're their own. Mm-hmm. And that's what people see. Like when people see, like you know what? I ain't got to worry about <laughs> you know my kid as long as they're in this person's presence because they're going to love on that child and take care of them and make sure they get a good good education. Ultimately, those are the things that people want. And we get sidetracked by, oh, who can use what bathroom? I'm like, really? <laughs> that is not your biggest concern about your student being in school from 8 in the morning to 3.30. No, it's not. But you know what? We went we went to Mississippi, and I walked into a bathroom, and the lady was coming behind me. She goes, sir? And I was like, um, hmm. No, and I turned around. And she goes, "Oh, I'm sorry. You just got the short haircut." And she walked right past me, and I just looked at her. I was like, "Okay." But she was about mm. to turn around and get security because she thought it was a man walking to the bathroom. Now, mind you, she had just been sitting mm-hmm. next to me. Mhm. I was like, "Okay." So, so, and it's just weird how people are so hung up on this bathroom thing. But um, right. But Tim, you have been up. You had a long day. I have had a long day, but it's been great. I mean, every time I get to talk to both of y'all, you know, it's all good. Uh, and uh, But certainly I definitely want people to know, and, and what I'll do is I'll send you some information that you can share on your page on Facebook. Uh, I will send you the where people the link where people can find out more about the conference. Certainly tell people that, you know, that are in St. Louis that's going to be an easy uh, lift for them to be able to go and get that information. But, I mean, we want to see people from Detroit. We want to see people from Chicago. Um, you know, Milwaukee, all the Midwest areas. Actually, you don't have to be in the Midwest to go to that. It's just called that because that's where it's located. So we have people coming from Vegas and Arizona <laughs> uh, to, mm-hmm. to St. Louis uh, to to get this information. There will be another summit uh, in November, and that one's called the Deep South Summit. That will be in Atlanta November 19th and 20th. So even if people miss this one, uh, there will be another opportunity where they can come and, and be a part. Uh, we, you know, we've had um, you know, we've had Ebony from uh, Affinity speak uh, at at our our summits. We've had CC Carter. Uh, you know, we've 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 definitely you know you know mm-hmm. amplified the voices of so many people in our our community. Jasmine Thurman. Um, you know, I'm just thinking about some people that um, that have been you involved. Know I do, and that, and that's yeah. kind of what I mean. She she's a principal, and and so I have a, another good friend that mm-hmm. became a principal. That's a, a black lesbian woman, and so I, I, when I say it's changing, you know, we're we're slowly, you know, making our way into these spaces where we can have influence. I, I talked to one uh, executive director of a school in D.C., and she said, "Well, the, I knew that the best way." She said, "I had to be a closet teacher for years." But she said, I knew that the best way for me to impact the school was to create a school. <laughs> so she she founded her own school, and, you know, and, and it's very clear, hey, this is an excellent school. Everybody wants to come to this school, uh, but you need to know this. This is an inclusive and safe school for LGBT students. They have trans students in the elementary school that get support from everybody. 
uh, you know, and this is a school with mostly students of color. So it's, you know, it's 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 changing. I think minds are opening up. People are talking more and stuff about it. Uh, you know, but I think we just have to remain diligent. I think the main thing we have to do, this it is really about, we, we talk a lot about educational equity. I, I love the term educational justice. And to me, it's, it's a justice issue. It's like, no, you don't you don't get to not teach the gay kids. That's just not an option <laughs> because because you are that that's a violation of the rights that they have as a citizen to get a quality education, public education. That's a right. That is okay, a folks, right. you heard it here. Can we talk from real from Tim? And believe me, Tim will be back. You've been away for a while. I will. A while. Are you gonna let me read? You gonna let me read this poem? Yep, I'm gonna let you read that poem. Yes, please. Okay, let me let me read it. It's pretty short, but uh, I'm going to read it. It's called Citation. Citing requires a special citing to bring voice to the invisible. One must bear witness to the unsaid. Read photo- photographs with three-dimensional eyes as topography. Since the contours of shame and fear... Raise the dead and living into shameless celebration. Sighting requires a griot, tirelessly excavating truth of folk, otherwise lied about or on. He or she wasn't really. We can't truly know when we can. When When men who love men and women who love women transform our genealogies of black excellence, Citing requires that you don't let people forget people who get forgotten. Hearts, mind, rhythm, and wit excluded with deliberate oversight. Unmarried. Cause of death unknown. Left behind a host of family members, dot, 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 and a friend. Mm -hmm. It requires that you build profiles of greatness. There are hundreds of subjects to believe Ubuntu is to know they are worthy. So he offers a pep talk into genius. And yes, sighting requires sight. So when the one who saw us all with the most grace, the one who embellished and adorned our humility till it ran, go tell it on a mountaintop, when it had become clear there was little sight left to sight, he couldn't perhaps see himself quite so alive or with purpose, unable to sight his people anymore. Maybe it was time to fall, give up the ghost, accept the calling to return to dust. Job well done. Mm. Job well done. Mm. That was a beautiful tribute to a beautiful person. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you both. Uh-huh. Thank you. Uh, we'll be having you back. That was a great conversation. That was a beautiful tribute to to, to Stephen. That was just beautiful. So, okay. I, well, then I really need to get off. But um, yep. great show. Thank you, Tim M. West, as always. Yep. Amazing. Yep, yep, yep. So we will see everybody again next week. I don't know if you're going to be on the road, but if so, maybe uh, you'll call in. Well, same time next week. 
same time next week. Good night, everyone. Okay, well, okay, good night, Jerry. Night, Michelle. Mm-hmm.